Welcome to Emirates Podcast, episode 360. Today is Friday, January 28th, 2022. Well, I have said several times before that I often record several versions of a podcast episode before I actually finish it and, and post it. This is one of those, although this time I lost track of how many times I've recorded it. <laughs> There's a lot of things going on, um, in, including the fact that the main thing I'm going to be talking about today is something I wanted to get right, and I just was having trouble getting it right. So I would start over and, and so on. But the other reason it relates to a life update, which is what I'm going to talk about first, life updates. Two weeks ago, this past Wednesday, I got my booster shot. And that was, a, that was a week after they became available for people like me who had had their second jab at least four months earlier. But I couldn't go that first week because I was waiting for delivery. I had ordered an iPhone 13 Pro and I thought it might be delivered that week, and it turned out it was, wasn't until Monday, and the company that was handling the shipping was very unclear, so I didn't know, and uh, it was just a big mess. Anyway, it, it got here, and I went and got my jab two days later. Two days later, because on the Tuesday, I was going to my mother-in-law's house for dinner, and I thought, well, what if I have the jab and I don't feel well afterwards? I don't want to be you know, around... Other people have to drive home if I'm feeling really sick or tired or whatever. And so I decided to wait until Wednesday. And Wednesday, I felt fine after my jab. No issues at all. The next day, 24 hours after my booster, I crashed. I was unbelievably exhaustedly tired. And more so, in fact, than after my first jab, where I also felt quite tired. In fact, I had a nap after my first one. After the booster, I kept dozing off in my chair, and I would wake up with a start. So I thought, well, this is ridiculous. I'm going to go try a nap again. It worked the first time. Same thing happened. I would wake up with a start. And so that just was not going to, not going to, it was not helpful. So I went back to my chair, and I'm sitting there, and I started feeling more and more unwell. And I checked, I checked my uh, my uh, temperature because I felt like, I felt flu-like, and it was normal. So I just popped a couple of paracetamol, and then I actually felt better once it kicked in, and um, after that, I was fine. So that was my experience with the with the um, with the booster, but uh, it is part of what delayed my my recording. And then I was getting deliveries of things, and I was doing things, and I had my birthday on Friday the twenty first, as, as well you know probably. And that was very nice. I went for an echocardiogram that day. That was my present to myself. <laughs> and I had to pay for it, so it kind of was a present to myself. And I haven't gotten the results yet, so I have no idea if, if, it, if it was good, bad, or indifferent. But the, uh, the person who did it didn't run from the room screaming, so I take that as a good sign anyway. And yeah, so it was, it was meant as a reference scan because I'd last had one in 2018, and since then, I'd had the jump start in my heart, and, and I'd gotten the ablation procedure. And so it's just kind of a, a check to make sure everything's okay, to see if it could de, uh, de, uh, identify any sort of irregular rhythms. The cardiologist and my GP both think that I have had ectopic beats, which are either extra beats or skipped beats, which are not necessarily life-threatening or a problem. Um, I mean, they can be, but not normally. And, but, you know, if, if it's not, if they can't detect it, that means they can't really do anything about it. 
And to be fair, I've actually felt fine in that regard pretty much for months. So it could have just been, you know, adjustment to the post-ablation reality or whatever. I don't know. So that was that was my day on Friday. And I then uh, that evening I had some family around because I thought I'd probably be tired after my trip, and I was. So um, they just came around, and I, I made one of I, I made a dish that I promised my mother-in-law because she asked for it on my birthday. I've made the dish, isn't that? Aren't I a good guy? <laughs> and then um, my brother-in-law came around as well and um, um, brought pizzas. So um, there was pizza as well. And of course, I've often said that if I was condemned. I would want pizza as my last meal. So I enjoyed both, actually. And so that was my birthday. And then the next two nights, we went out for dinner for other reasons. And then Monday, I had a dentist appointment. It was a consultation, no biggie. I'm going to be having some, um, well, basically repairs made. Uh, I think I talked about, I can't remember, but I was having some trouble with one of my front teeth colliding with one of the bottom teeth underneath it. And the reason, basically, is because of my gum problems that I've talked about at length over the years, The one of my front teeth has dropped, and I think one of the bottom one has probably shifted, too, although that may not be because of gum problems. It could be just because I'm old. <laughs> anyway, they were colliding. And in the last collision, which was pretty major, it, it chipped um, a bit off of my tooth. So... My goal was to just kind of get that fixed and also adjust it a bit. Because it's dropped, it's significantly longer than the one next to it. And so he's going to even that out just with a little bit of grinding. And then in the other one, he's going to fill it out a little bit to make it a bit longer and, and even it out. So they look the same, basically. And that is now, once that's done, that's done um, next Thursday of this coming week. And once that's done, that is pretty much going to be it for any sort of cosmetic dentistry that I'm going to have done at this time. And the reason for that is that, you know, the ship is well and truly sailed by now. This all started, all of my dental journeys started because I wanted a pretty smile, pretty er smile. And I was looking at getting um, Invisalign or some such braces, but then they found I had gum issues. And then that went on for years, getting that, trying to get that under control. And it just never worked. And of course now it's it's six or seven, eight, whatever years later, and it's way too late now. So that's the I've reduced my um, goals from having a prettier smile to having one that's that's a little bit nicer, <laughs> and I'll I'll settle for that. But interestingly, a side thing: the periodontist and dentist, dentists and so on for years have been trying to get me to use these little teeny tiny brushes called interdental brushes. You put them. You rub them between your teeth at the gum line, and it's supposed to remove the, the plaque and the buildup and all the other stuff. And it is now considered so good that many dental professionals, including my own dentist, say, don't floss, use those. And so I finally started using it begrudgingly because I always refer to them as something along the lines of those damn little brushes. And uh, But the last time I was supposed to see the hygienist in August and I couldn't because we went under nationwide lockdown and the earliest appointment I could get was late last month. And when I went, this is nine months since my previous visit. I was supposed to be like six months, nine months after my previous visit, she said that they, it was looking really good because I've been using those stupid little brushes. <laughs> and the dentist said the same thing because he did some reference x-rays before deciding what he can do about 
fixing the the chips and things. And he said that um, they're they're actually really quite healthy. My gums are, thanks to my using those little brushes. And he actually said, I'm probably not going to be getting any more um, cavities in my teeth at my age. I did not know that that was a thing, but <laughs> but that's what he says. So I'll take it. Actually, I haven't had much trouble with, with cavities for years, years and years and years and years already. So I don't know, maybe I've finally turned a corner because I had a lot of cavities when I was a kid. So that's what I've been up to. I've been, I got my jab. I had a scan of my heart and I resisted the temptation to ask the the person if if uh, it was a boy or a girl, because it's the same scan they use for checking babies, same sort of scan. And because uh, that was too much of a granddad joke, even for me. So I didn't make that joke. But I did tell her that there would be plenty of people I know who would be surprised to discover that she found I actually do have a heart. <laughs> yes, that's what I've been doing. And I've got all sorts of projects lined up. Some I'm sort of still in process on. And I'll talk about those in the future as things develop. But for today, I have a voice message that was sent to me by someone I've known for many years. And I'm going to play that now. And then I'm, I'm actually going to break it into two segments. I feel sort of like Paul from Archer Radio. And mainly because that way I can comment on each part after it in, in context. So here's that me- the first part of that message. Hey, Arthur. It's Grayson in Atlanta, Georgia. And I am just finishing up my daily 10,000 step walk during which I listened to the first episode of Amarins of 2022. Uh, I am always so, so happy to see that I have a new episode of Amarins waiting in my podcast app. Uh, I should apologize before I get any further. I'm I'm standing under an awning uh, waiting for a shower to pass. So you may hear uh, the sparkle of tires on wet asphalt uh, in the background, and I, I hope it's not too, too distracting, but I'm, uh, I'm, I'm standing for this, standing just long enough for the shower to pass and hopefully to make a mad dash into my building, but I, I thought I'd take the minute while I was waiting um, just to leave you a message and, um, and uh, impart a couple of things. One, I just wanted to say thank you. Uh, I have to tell you, yours is by far my favorite podcast. Uh, there are a lot of podcasts I subscribe to, but uh, when I see a new episode of Amarin's in my podcast queue, I'll make time for it. Everything else can wait until I get around to it. But a new episode of Amarin's uh, gets my full attention as soon as I can possibly listen to it all the way through, um, which is what I did today. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with my interest slash obsession, unhealthy obsession with moving to New Zealand someday. But it also has a lot to do with you, your personality, your ability to tell a story, your honesty, um, your uh, skill as an entertainer, as a storyteller, um, and your unique perspective, um, not only as, as a gay man, but as an expat and a survivor and um, someone who gets to look at politics and culture and, uh, and society through a, an incredibly unique lens uh from your your place on the planet um it's truly special and truly unique and i look forward to to hearing your show uh every week or whenever you decide to put out an episode (laughs) um but seriously uh i really really enjoy your show and thank you for it and uh and here's to many many more years 
of, of you as a pioneer in this medium. Well, thanks so much for that, Grayson, and thank you in particular for the very kind words. I do deeply appreciate it. I've actually known Grayson for quite a few years now. We met originally th through my blog, I think. I, don't, I mean, I used to do everything on my blog, so I don't remember specifically what I was doing, if I was podcasting yet or still just blogging or what it was, but it, it goes back that long. And nowadays, I particularly appreciate um, your kind words, Grayson, because nowadays there is very little interaction between podcasters and listeners, except maybe the, the big famous ones, and I doubt that they pay much attention to the comments. The In the old days, it, and by the way, this podcast is going to turn 15 in March. In the old days, people used to leave comments on, on the show notes for um, podcasts and also on blog posts. And that doesn't happen so much anymore, not for independent solo people like me anyway. And it, it is, I think, still on corporate sites and, and what I call corporate sites, which means like media companies and anybody who monetizes their content in some way. Um, and I, that's not, I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's just that it's changed is what I'm saying. And because it's changed, it is, it's easy to sort of feel like whatever we're doing is just going out into the ether and disappearing kind of like those radio signals from earth are reaching out beyond our galaxy by now, I think. And yeah, so sometimes it's a bit like talking into the wind. But I said a long time ago that when I do a, an episode of the podcast, or for that matter, a blog post, I almost always imagine that I'm talking to somebody I actually know. And it's not quite the conversation, obviously, because it's not two-sided. But what it is kind of analogous to is when I was a very young boy, about nine or ten maybe, I my parents moved to another city, and I had friends back in, in the old place we used to live. And um, for a while, it's probably only months, it feels like it was longer, um, one of my best friends and I used to send audio cassettes to each other, kind of like a, a verbal um, letter. And that's essentially what what this podcast is. It's very similar to that. I, I talk about my life, what's going on, what's going in, on in New Zealand, and so on, in the same way that I used to talk to my friend on those cassettes all those decades ago. And actually, my blog began as emails back to friends and family in the U.S. as well, now that I think about it. not it, They're not literally the same thing nowadays because they tend to be more focused on one subject. But in those days, I was talking about the same sorts of things, about my life in New Zealand, about what it's like living here, about things going on in New Zealand, and I still talk about those sorts of things in my blog too. So really, I've got a long history doing this. <laughs> But as I said, thank you so much for the kind words, Grayson. And now I'm going to go on to a completely different topic. Um, the other reason I'm messaging is because today when I opened up Twitter, the hashtag Australia has fallen was trending. Um, and I know New Zealand and Australia are very different places. Um, but you do share some cultural touchstones. You, you are uh, neighbors in the Oceania neighborhood. You are... Uh, you know, if nothing else, you, you, you share uh, to the untrained ear a similar accent. <laughs> um, and I, I know why Australia has fallen was trending on Twitter today. Um, it's due to uh, some unrest 
around vaccine mandates and mask mandates and, and other uh, lockdowns uh, in the hopes of slowing the spread or stopping the spread of COVID in that country. Um, and I, I think it was spurred on by the arrival of tennis player um, Novak Djokovic, uh, who was put into isolation or quarantine or turned away uh, because of his vaccine status or, or lack thereof. And I think that's what spurred this most recent kind of uh, spate of unrest. Um, but I'm wondering why I see that in Australia. We, we see it here in the United States as well, very vocal opposition to, to mandates. Um, but we don't hear about that in New Zealand very much. Um, and I'm wondering why that is. Is it just because New Zealand is smaller and there's less, fewer instances of it or, or less you know, noisy instances of it? Um, I'm sure that that uh, sentiment must exist in the country, um, but we really don't hear about it. And I haven't heard you speak about it much. And so I'm just wondering, um, does that does that opinion? I'm sure it exists, but does it hold as much weight as it appears to hold in, in Australia and the United States? Um, because really all I hear from New Zealand as far as COVID is concerned is, how awesome everybody is and how willing everyone is to scan the QR code when they enter a business to, you know, uh, to, to, for, for cont contact tracing and, um, and the fact that you have such a high vaccination rate and it all seems great. It seems like you're doing everything perfectly. Um, and it all seems, uh, very go along to get along, but I, I, I'm assuming that can't always be the case, um, and I'm wondering if that if that's true. Is 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 there an anti-vax faction in New Zealand, and and how are they perceived uh, in the country? Um, so yeah, that's all. Hopefully, we won't see uh, New Zealand has fallen tomorrow uh, on Twitter. <laughs> anyway, uh, thanks again for your years of service in podcasting. And, uh, and here's to many, many more. And, uh, and yeah, that's it from Atlanta. Thanks a lot. Talk to you later. Well, as you may imagine, this is a topic I have given some thought to over the past couple of years. And I think there are a number of reasons why New Zealand has fared differently than Australia and certainly uh, differently than the U.S. And... I mean, some of it has to do with we are different cultures, despite our similarities. We have a lot of a lot of similarities, but we have very different cultures. Australia is louder and brasher than New Zealand is. I don't think anybody on either side of the of the Tasman would argue differently, but it, they clearly are. And I don't know if that accounts for part of it because we are fundamentally both what I would call communitarian societies. We both care about the welfare of our wider community, our national community. And we generally both want to do the right thing by our communities. The problem, though, is that the Australian structure is set up to, to encourage division, much like the U.S.'s is. And here's, here's why I say that. New Zealand has a unicameral parliament. That means one house. And it's elected through the system called MMP, which ensures proportional representation. And what I mean is that if a party gets 50% of the popular vote, they will have 50% of the seats in parliament guaranteed. And that's what our system is. Now, what that encourages is that generally it encourages uh, coalition governments 
And it also encourages compromise between the parties because you need to do that because you can't have an absolute majority to, to be guaranteed to get your agenda through parliament. Australia has a bicameral two-house parliament, and the House and Senate are elected in very different ways. They are semi-proportional, but not in the same sense that New Zealand's is. And as a result, their parliament encourages division more, much more so than, than New Zealand's does. New Zealand's encourages collegiality to a greater extent, which is not to say the parties get along because they absolutely do not, but... <laughs> But they, the system encourages more cooperation than Australia's does. And I think that that's a fundamental difference right there. But the bigger one is that Australia has states and territories, each of which has their own government. New Zealand has nothing like that. We do have city councils and district councils and regional councils, but they all get their authority and their power from parliament, through parliament. Parliament basically designates certain responsibilities to the local councils, but parliament ultimately is the is the authority. Parliament is the supreme body of the land, not the queen. It's parliament. I don't know what Australia's particular viewpoint on supremacy is, if it's the queen or or, or their um, parliament or what have you. But it is a fundamentally different approach than Aust the two countries have a fundamentally different approach from each other. And the U.S. is a, is a similar similarly divided governance structure both within the federal government and between the federal government and the states and the states and their sub subunits and so on. It's a much more fractured society. Australia is less fractured, but far more fractured than New Zealand. And I think that those things are among the reasons why um, division can spread so, can be exploited so well in the U.S. and in Australia, but not so much in New Zealand. But one of the factors that's very important is one that's not talked about very often, in my opinion, and that's religion. New Zealand, according to the last census, was 48.5% no religion. And I have to stress, as I always do, that no religion does not necessarily mean atheist or agnostic. People might consider themselves to be Christian or whatever, but just not have a particular religion. And, But 37% of New Zealanders did say that they were Christian. In the next census or the one after, New Zealand will be majority non-religion. I mean, everybody knows that. Nobody's disputing that because that's been the trend for decades. In Australia, on the other hand, 30.1% say that they are, have no religion and 52.2% say they're Christian. So it's basically the exact opposite of New Zealand and a bit more, even a bit more religious than that, than that would suggest. And the reason that that matters is because Australia has always had a, an active segment of their society that is right-wing, fundamentalist, Protestant Christianity. A lot of it taking its cues and its, and its methods and, and so on from U.S. fundamentalists, which we will all remember, really took off in the 80s um, when they started becoming heavily involved in politics to the extent that now they control the Republican Party. The, the fundamentalist Protestants in Australia don't overtly control any particular party, but their, their main conservative party, the Liberal Party, liberal in the, in the 19th century sense of the word, um, the current prime minister is a Pentecostal, and the majority of his cabinet, or his senior cabinet anyway, are similarly fundamentalist Protestants. And 
that the influence of politically active right-wing fundamentalist Protestants is, has been a constant break on the system in Australia for a long, long time, certainly as long as I've been here. And it's what delayed marriage equality in Australia because they were absolutely opposed to that. And the only way they finally got it through was by doing an end run around the national parliament and going direct to the people through a postal ballot, which, miracle of miracles, ended up being successful because the fundamentalists pulled out all the stops and they, they spent big on their campaign to try to stop marriage equality. And they still do. But in Austra in New Zealand, rather, we just don't have that. People tend to be really suspicious of people who try to force their religion on other people. They roll their eyes very often. And they, and they openly mock some of those people, especially our leading fundamentalist, a guy by the name of Brian Tomicky, who is, in fact, the leading organizer of of protests and things here in New Zealand through his um, through an organization that his people have set up. Now, our opposition is, is mainly them. It's mainly his church and its supporters, but it also is made up of of actual anti-vaxxers, you know, people long long-term anti-vaxxers, most of whom seem to be based in Northland, which is the the part of New Zealand at the top of the North Island, that sort of thumb jutting up. And of course, my theory is that it's it's descended from from the the ex hippies who went there in the sixties and seventies, who you know got into natural living and all that sort of stuff, and then fell down the rabbit hole of conspiracies and whatnot. Certainly, a lot of the disinformation on COVID seems to have been coming from that area, but it's also been identified in places with where the more fundamentalist religions are active. Primarily rural areas, um, it has to be said, not so much in the cities. But the other, the other, one of the other larger groups in the in this protest conglomeration are gun nuts. Yes, we do have some, and um, just people who don't like government. Full stop. For whatever reason, usually because they have been um, um, consuming American propaganda nonstop. Those are the people who show up at these at these protests, waving Trump flags or QAnon signs or the Confederate flag, none of which have anything whatsoever to do with New Zealand, but they do it anyway. And so we also have the white supremacist element. We have the anti-vaxxers, we have the gun nuts, and we have the religious nuts all together pushing this. They do not speak for New Zealand or New Zealanders. And one of the best ways to, to see that is to just look at the vaccination rates. 96% of New Zealanders have had at least one dose of the vaccine. 94% have had two doses. To date, about 1.2 million people have had booster doses, which is probably about 62% of those who are eligible, which is New Zealanders who are 18 and older. So we have a really high level of compliance with, with vaccination. If those, if those people had any influence over New Zealanders, those numbers would have stalled, but they keep going up. So they're clearly a small minority. Only 4% of New Zealanders haven't had at least one jab, of eligible New Zealanders haven't had at least one jab. So, the, so obviously the people who are part of this have to be less than 4% of the entire population. And it's probably significantly less than that. But they're very loud, and they're also getting very aggressive, and that's actually what worries me because 
the when somebody is is you know full and fully invested in this sort of thing and they're not getting results nobody's listening to them if anything they're mocking them that's when they tend to get frustrated and they they lash out they are already incredibly aggressive in promoting their their selves <laughs> i'm just going to say their views but they're not real views um for example just last week, the um, vaccinations opened up for those who are five to for children five to eleven. They went, they turned up to the to the vaccination centers and started screaming at the children, telling them they were going to die if they got the vaccine. And you know, if they were legitimate freedom protesters saying we demand the right to choose whether or not we get the vaccine, which they have, by the way, they do not have the right to tell parents that they can't tell get their children vaccinated. You know, you can't have it both ways. You can't be for freedom on the one hand and then try to take away other people's freedom on the other. That's There's a logical inconsistency there which would be more glaring if they actually possessed logic, which I haven't frankly seen. And I know I'm being unkind and I don't really care because like the majority of New Zealanders, I am really over these people. The whole point of this traffic light system that we're now under, and by the way, we're now under red because of the emergence of Omicron. We've got 115 cases identified so far, I think it is. The whole point of the traffic light system is that it allows vaccinated people to pretty much just get on with life and live it normally. And we're okay with that. Clearly, 96% are, have had at least one jab. 94% of eligible New Zealanders have had two the vast, vast majority of us are okay with that. And we just have had a guts full of all the people who are whining and protesting and carrying on like a bunch of spoiled adolescents. Which, by the way, is something I often say. When people demand their their rights, that's all well and good. You know, people have the absolute right to to say such things. But to demand their freedom without responsibility isn't rights. It isn't freedom. It's adolescence. And that's what we're faced with around the world. We have adolescents protesting. Like, it's not fair you're doing this to me kind of thing. And most of us have, have, have had a guts full of that in, in, in the US, in Australia, in Europe, everywhere. But it's just that here, we don't have to put up with it. And that I think is, is a very huge difference. And I hope I've explained a little bit about why that is, why we are different why we have managed to avoid the problems that other countries have had. And I don't know, this this is an evolving topic, and I may have to re return to this in the future with a different explanation. But for now, that's how it looks to me. Now, next time, I'm going to be talking uh, about a number of different things, including the an update on my solar power uh, system that I had installed last year, because there are updates. And I've had requests, yes, more than one, to talk about that. And I will do that in the next episode, probably early next week, hopefully, if everything goes well. But that is it for today. That's it for this week. And I will talk to you soon. And thanks again for the, the voice message, Grayson. And um, that's also a reminder that anybody can do that. I'm always willing to take them on. But that's it for this week. I'll talk to you soon. Kakete ano. Bye. You can comment on this or any episode of the Airman's Podcast at airmanspodcast.com, where you can also leave a voice message. You can visit and comment on the Amarin's Facebook page, or you can email me with or without a voice message at amarin's at gmail.com. This podcast is a proud member of the Pride 48 Network and is produced and distributed under Creative Commons license. Complete details at the website.